The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 8, 10 through 17. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. How are we doing? A little tired, I, I see. That's good. Uh, my name's Garrison. If we haven't met, I am one of the pastors here. I do want to say happy Mother's Day again to all the moms in the room. We are super, super grateful for you. We love you. Um, I hope today uh, you feel very celebrated um, by your family, those you love, and, uh, and your community. I also just want to acknowledge that today can, can be a really hard day uh, for many people in the room for a lot of different reasons. Um, there, there are people in the room who, who want to be moms and for one reason or another have not had those dreams uh, come to fruition. There's, there's people in the room who have difficult relationships uh, with their moms and there's people in the room who have lost their moms. Um, it could be a really hard day. So we just want to say that, that God sees that, that God sees you. He invites you uh, to come to him with all of those griefs. And, and I hope today actually could become a day where, where you're actually spending a lot of time with him. Um, it could be a day full of intimacy uh, with, with God. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can go to Ecclesiastes 8. We'll get there in just a little bit. Uh, if you notice, we're skipping a couple chapters. Some of you will be like, that's relieving. Uh, what, what we're doing is we're, we're spending time focusing on the bigger pictures, the, the key themes of the book, rather than going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're welcome. Uh, let me pray for us, and we will get started. Father God, we're, we're thankful um, to get to be together this morning. Uh, we're thankful for your word, even though Ecclesiastes can be a very difficult book to read, to process, to see what you're up to in it. It can be, feel very deflating, but God, it's in your word. So help us by your spirit to see what it is that you have for us, and we pray that you would change us and grow us to be more of the people that you Desire us to be in your name, Jesus. Amen. I became a Christian three weeks before I moved into my college dorm, which was great timing. 
really was. I didn't grow up in the church. I was basically a blank slate when it comes to theology and different beliefs. But I got plugged into a really healthy church. It had a thriving community, and it, and it helped me grow to love Jesus and to learn about Him. It was life-changing. But I had issues. And one of those issues was a question that, honestly, it still messes with me to this day. And it goes something like, why is my life so hard if I'm a Christian? Why is my life so hard if I'm a Christian? I'm, I'm less asking that theologically for you to answer, and more like emotionally. Like, why is this, shouldn't it just be a little bit easier? Shouldn't things in my life be better for me if I'm a Christian? And I would, and I still do compare myself to other people. Like, I would ask, why am I struggling with depression if all of my non-Christian friends seem to be having a great time? They have a lot of joy in their life. If I'm a Christian, why does it feel like my relationships are so hard? And they're, they're difficult to, to be healthy. Well, it feels like non-Christians are not asking any of the same questions and not having any of the same problems. E even now, I'm a Christian and I'm a businessman. I work it with mortgages. And I'll compare myself to others and I'll say, I'm a Christian. Why is it that I struggle so much, but I know non-Christians with the same job who literally are 10 times more successful than me, do 10 times more business than me? How is this happening? Why are people that aren't following Jesus, seemingly more happy than me or more blessed than me. Sort of feels like God is, is holding out on me. And I have the reason, like logically I'll play it out. Like as a Christian, I thought that I'm living life the right way. I'm doing life the right way by following God. So why is it when I do everything right, it seems like I get no reward? But the opposite is also true. Seems like everyone that's doing it wrong is getting a reward, is getting rewarded. Do you connect with that? Have you felt that way before? Like, don't do the mental gymnastics of like, I shouldn't think that way. And then you still feel that way. <laughs> do, you, do you actually connect with that? Like, just shouldn't my life be a little bit better since I'm a Christian? Shouldn't God be blessing me? Definitely more than people that don't even know Him. It seems very unfair. If, if you resonate with that, you are not the first. I would actually argue that this is one of the biggest barriers to following Jesus over the long haul. And it's actually what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is going to talk about for us today. If you've ever asked the question, why is my life so hard as a Christian? Why isn't my life better? The preacher actually has an answer. It's because life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Life is not fair under the sun. I see some of you smirking like, wow, what another hard topic we have to deal with this week. I apologize, but it's in the Word, so we got to deal with it. I think actually, though, uh, this is going to be really good for us. Hard truths, but good truths for us. And my hope this morning is that we'll answer three questions that come from Ecclesiastes 8. One, how is life not fair? Very basic. How is life actually not fair? We feel it, but how does the Word actually describe it? Two, how do we tend to handle life not being fair? And three, how should we handle life not being fair? That's my whole outline. You can write it down. That's where we're going. Like I said, got a Bible? Let's go to Ecclesiastes 8. We're going to start in verse 14 and kind of be skipping around a little bit. If you've got a Bible, read, or you can follow on on the screen behind me. Verse 14. The preacher says, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people 
to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said also, I said that this is also a vanity. So we've, we've sort of heard the preacher talk like this before. He's labeling something that he's observing again as vanity, and he boils it down to the righteous. Righteous people are being rewarded as if they're bad people, and bad people are being rewarded as if they were righteous. I don't know if that helps kind of put some words around that feeling that a lot of us experience. Now, something I think we've got to be, we really have to be on the same page about, is who the preacher is calling the righteous. That's a big question. That's not just an Ecclesiastes question either, because you're going to see the term the righteous and the wicked come out, come up a lot in the Old Testament, specifically in wisdom literature and the Psalms. You'll see this dichotomy discussed. I, I got a couple examples. Psalm 1, verse 6 It says, for the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Or from Proverbs 10, 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. You'll see this come up all over the place. So the question is, who is who? Who's he actually talking about? Well, the the righteous, they are, and they always have been God's people living by God's design. The righteous are and always have been God's people living by God's design. The righteous are God's people and the wicked are not. Now, now something the Bible is very clear on, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit, is that all of us are actually wicked. All of us, every human being on planet Earth is actually wicked. But the righteous are those who have been made righteous by God. That's how it's always worked and made righteous by God through faith in him. That's how it works now. That's how it also worked in the Old Testament. We even see Paul writing about it in Romans 4. We'll just hop there really fast. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So, so Paul's logic is that Abraham is sort of this archetype of how uh, being, being, becoming righteous actually works. It's not by your effort, never has been. It's not by works. Your behavior cannot please God, cannot move God's hand to love you more. It's only, and it always has been, by faith. By faith alone. Faith in God is counted as righteousness. And because we've been made righteous by faith, that allows us to become God's people which then spurs us to follow him and to live in his design. This how theologian Alan P. Ross puts it. He says, The righteous are people who have entered into covenant with God by faith and seek to live according to his word. The covenant that they have makes them the people of God. So the righteous are and always have been God's people living by God's design. So the preacher is essentially saying, I'm looking out into the world, and I see the righteous, who are God's people, they're being treated as the wicked. 
who are not God's people. And actually, even further, the wicked are being rewarded. They're, being, they're getting the blessing of being God's people. How does that make sense? How is that actually fair? Now, a, a verse, and uh, honestly good wisdom that many of us have in the back of our minds is, well, you reap what you sow, right? That's how this is supposed to work, is you reap what you sow. And that's true. We've got verses that say that. But what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is saying is something that we really don't like, which is that oftentimes it's just more complicated than that. It just looks different than how we would think. It's more complicated than that, even though it is true that you will reap what you sow. And part of the reason that is so hard for us is that we actually believe in karma. We believe that karma is real, right? And some of us would actually go as far as saying and affirming that karma is real. We believe that good things do and should happen to good people exclusively. And likewise, we believe that bad things should and do happen to bad people. But I would say it's actually more subtle because we apply it to Christianity. We apply it to our walks with Jesus. And it's not as like, clear as, well, I read my Bible this week, so where's my promotion? Like, that's not what we think. It, it actually probably looks more like, well, I'm trying. Like, I'm doing my best. Am I perfect? No, never said that. But I'm trying. I show up to church when I don't want to. I'm quick to anger with my spouse and kids. I'm aware of that, but I apologize. I try to repent. I confess my sins when I don't want to. So, shouldn't my life just be a little bit better? I'm not the worst. I'm not the best. I'm trying. Maybe it's more specific like, um, God, I bought this house in this neighborhood for you to, to be hospitable and to welcome people in for you and to be on mission for you. Why do I keep having to shell out the dollars when it's like something goes wrong every month? And it <laughs> and it's never the like best case scenario either. It's always like full gut repair. Why? Should this not be easier? Help my wallet. Me and my spouse have been praying and meeting with others. We seek counsel on how to be a healthy couple. We're trying. Why does it feel like we have made no progress? Like we are trying. Why haven't we grown? I just feel like this should be easier. Or uh, your work. I'm praying for my coworkers. I work hard at my job. Why does my boss not treat me well? Why do my coworkers not treat me well? Why does it feel like I don't fit in? Why are they uninterested in going to lunch or coming to church with me? I just feel like I should be maybe thriving a little bit more. I'm putting in the effort. Why, why are there so many roadblocks? We can apply this to anything. And, and see, what happens is we're tying an expectation to our effort. We're tying an expectation to our effort. We do the right thing. So, of course, I should get the right result. That's karma. That's a belief in karma. And karma isn't real. And, and actually, life shows us that over and over again. And when it does, we are so disappointed. We're so let down. So we read our Bibles, but we still struggle with depression and anxiety, and we don't get any favor at work, and we don't get what we prayed for when we wanted, and our kids aren't getting it, 
We don't feel as good as we think we should, and we work hard, and someone else gets promoted, or someone else gets the deal. Now, it's not like we're being selfish, though. Like, it's not the negative. I don't, it's not like I want bad things for people. I don't want bad things for non-Christians. I just thought that my life would be a little better. I just thought that my life would be a little bit easier and better when I started following Jesus, but it didn't. And now I don't know what to do. We really start asking the question, well, why is God letting these unfair things happen? Why is God letting this happen? Which is actually even harder to grapple with. It's very difficult to be there. And it's actually, if you look, we're going to see it, the preacher himself struggles with this as he's observing what's happening to the righteous. Look at how he describes it. Skip over 15. We'll come back to it. This is in uh, 16. It says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor, not, nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. It's very similar to a, a couple weeks ago when we talked about both the experiment and the week after the seasons of our life. The preacher is essentially trying to decode, like, what's going on? What, what's up with the randomness here? He himself ponders the unfairness of life. He says, why does this happen? He's losing sleep over it. And his conclusion is, Man cannot find out why. We can't find out why, and that actually God has made it so that we can't find out, which is like a gut punch. So, so why does God seem, let these seemingly unfair things happen? We don't know, which is really difficult to deal with. And the preacher calls this vanity also, this, this, this we're staying up all night to try to figure out why. Why is it playing out this way? Why am I feeling this way? You're going to rack your mind wondering what's happening. You might even look up Bible verses to figure it out, but it's vanity. The specifics of your situation, we're not promised to know. This is just how the world is. The people of God don't always get the rewards, and the wicked do. The people of God seemingly get the punishment. We get what the wicked deserves, and the wicked get don't get what they deserve. So that brings us back to our first question. How is life unfair? Well, the righteous don't get rewarded, and the wicked do. And we don't find out why. And God has actually made it that way. How is life unfair? The righteous don't get rewarded, and the wicked do. And we can't find out why this happens, because God has made it that way. So what do, what do we do with that? That leads us to the second one. How do, we, how do we tend to actually handle that reality? Because we experience it. We see it. We feel it. I, I actually think that most people handle it the exact same way. It, it looks different, but we all tend to handle it the same way. We just sort of give up. You just tend to give up following Jesus. That can look different ways. For some of us, I mean, you give up on what he's invited us, us into. You give up on the, on the good that he has 
for you. And that can look like compromise, where life's not working out the way I want to, so I'm sort of going to take life into my own hands. If God's not rewarding me or treating me like I think he should, I don't get the point. That can look like marriage, where everyone around me is getting married, I'm being left out, so I'm going to compromise. I'm not going to be overly bad, but I'm not maybe going to care as much about their character, what they think about God, how they participate in church, if they have community. I'm not going to worry about that as much. Or other people are much better off financially than me. That's not fair, so I'll compromise. I'm going to stop giving. I'm not going to cut it off completely, but God's not really coming through, so I'm going to stop coming through as much. We compromise. can also sort of look just like a mediocre Christianity. It's like a blah type of walk with Jesus, where you're here, you're present, but that is about it. You don't really want to serve, and when you do serve and show up, it's like a com- you're complaining, at least mentally, the whole time. I'm not praying for others, barely praying at all. I'm not trying to get to know anyone or let them into my life. It's just a mediocre Christianity. Say so some of us give up by completely surrendering to things like sadness or bitterness. We totally give up on joy. We just have a simmering anger in our souls. We grow cynical. We let doubts fester. And I think ultimately that lands us in this pit of self-pity where life has just not worked out the way it should one too many times. God hasn't come through enough one too many times. We just sort of have a lens and we see life through that. It's just not good or fair. And I I think where this all leads, right, is we actually outright give up on following Jesus altogether. That's where it all funnels to. And I know some of you have felt that personally, that pull, or seen it in others. Because I tried the Jesus thing, and then my parents got divorced, or my brother died in a car crash, or my my wife left me. Tried the whole Jesus thing, but I'm still single. I had a miscarriage. I lost my job. And I, I know that some of us are, are there today. We feel that in our, in our hearts. That, that we felt like life is so unfair so many times that we're really doubting who God is. And I just want to say, I, I trust the Spirit's work in you. And I, and I trust and I fully believe 100% that God keeps those that he saves till the end. But I do need you to hear that your bitterness towards God about what seems unfair in your life, if left undealt with, it can and it might cause you to eventually walk away from him altogether. You have to hear that. That your bitterness towards God about what seems unfair in your life, if left undealt with, it might cause you to eventually walk away from him altogether. It is one of the biggest reasons that that happens. You become a Christian. You walk with him for a little bit, a couple years. Things don't work out, and you feel like he failed you. You walk away. It's also worth noting that this is the reason that your coworker does not want to come to church with you or your neighbor doesn't want to talk about Jesus with you because they've, they've been here. They feel like they tried, and it didn't work out for them. And that's why we have to have a ton of compassion and grace 
as we're loving on them and trying to, to build with them. Because this is an incredibly common story for why people deconstruct their faith and walk away from Jesus. Which we discuss this. We just want to give you a look behind the curtain on this because we get complaints about preaching sad stuff all the time. Like we talk about a lot of suffering. It is not because Tim and I and teaching team are just like, how can we ruin their weekend? It's not really what we're trying to do. It's actually, it, it's so good for you. You have to see this. It is good for us. We preach on this so much because if you don't get it, it's going to wreck your faith. It's going to wreck your walk with Jesus. Because suffering and doubts and unfairness, they are coming into your life. And many people are shocked when it does. Like, what? Or shocked when it's way worse than you could have ever imagined. But it is coming for you. And it is going to be hard, harder than you could imagine. You have to be theologically prepared for it. You cannot be unaware of what life is like under the sun. And so we'll shift into our last question. You have to, be able, you have to know how to actually handle this. So how do we actually handle life not being fair? It's the same invitations that we've had every single week of Ecclesiastes. Sacred honesty, mundanity, and sacred joy. Let's, let's start with sacred honesty. Sacred honesty. So Ecclesiastes calls us to this, and as God's people, Christians who are following after Jesus, Jesus himself actually gives us a very honest and even blunt view into what following him is actually supposed to look like. Look at Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So why do our lives not get better when we become Christians? Because that was never part of the deal. That was never part of what was promised. And God is not a vending machine. Like you can't put in your like effort coins and get out your soda blessing. Like that. This is not how it works. It's funny, but it's it's so difficult. It's not how it works. Jesus' call to his people is to come and die with him. To take up your cross, to take up your tool of execution and follow him. And for many of his followers throughout time and history, and even in the world now, that's literal. It means come and be killed by the wicked. And the call is the same to us, to follow him no matter what. No matter what life deals us, no matter what our circumstances are, yeah, that's really difficult. But we follow him no matter what. So we actually begin by being honest about where we have not believed that, where we've actually resisted that call from Jesus. So instead of being bogged down with resentment towards God, we actually see this as an invitation to confess and repent. See, I, I actually think that a lot of times when we tie these expectations to our effort, it shows us what we really are after. It shows us what we really want. That's what's under that feeling of unfairness a lot of the time. Is this is what I need. This is the result that I wanted. So we say, God, I've actually wanted marriage more than you. I've actually wanted a life of ease and comfort or of control, where nothing that I didn't expect happens. I've wanted that more than you. And, and all you've, God, you've actually promised 
that you'd be with me no matter what. Help me to actually believe that that is what I need, that that is actually better. You promised yourself in the midst of trial and difficulty on earth. Help me to believe that that's better. First invitation is to sacred, sacred honesty. The second is to sacred mundanity. This isn't going to be on the screen, but look back to, to verse 16. We just read it. The preacher says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor, not, nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, cannot find it out. I think we, deal, we, we attempt to deal with suffering and unfairness by finding answers. That is our prayer a lot of times. God, why is this happening? Why are you letting this happen? And that can be okay, especially when it's like you need to figure out a theological question. You should do that, and we would love to help you do that. But often we're striving, striving and striving to find the specifics. And the preacher is so clear, we often are not going to get that. We're not going to get those answers. And that's actually okay. So you may feel like God isn't being fair. God isn't being kind to me. And, and that's okay because we're not God. We don't know what he's up to. Because the reality is we don't, we don't need more answers. We need, we need more faith. We need help trusting him more with what's going on in our life. We need to remember how great and good he is. What he's actually already done in our lives. We need to remember his character which I would argue is exactly what the preacher himself does. Look back at verse 10. It says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. It's the resolution for all of our questions. The preacher repeats the same observation. Seems to go really well for the wicked. Why? Life is unfair. But he says, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God. And it will not be well for those who don't, who are wicked. I think what he has in mind is what we know when we look at the rest of Scripture. The reason that can be true is because of future judgment. There will be a day when everyone will get what they deserve. And that should be a relief to you and a terror. Because there will be a day when God balances the scales. He'll make every wrong right. So what, do we, what we know is the answer to the preacher's questions. Why don't the righteous get what they deserve? Why do the wicked get the reward? Why don't they get punished? The answer is because that's going to happen. It will happen one day. And if we're still asking, how is that fair now? We don't know the exact answers, but we do know that there was a moment in history where unfairness peaked. There was a moment in time where unfairness actually peaked. It was when Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life. 
the only righteous person to have ever lived truly. And he was given over to the authorities on false charges to be executed. He lived a perfect life, but he was betrayed. And as he stood before Pilate, many of you know this story, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate brings out an, another man, another prisoner named Barabbas, who was a murderer, he led an insurrection. And he stands the two side by side, and Pilate asks the crowd, which one of these guys should I release? And the crowd demands for Barabbas, the wicked criminal, the murderer. Some Mark 15 tells it to us. Verse 5, it says, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Remember that first verse we read from the preacher? It says, there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. That really happened once. Really happened one time in all of human history. The day that Jesus went to the cross, trading places with the wicked Barabbas and wicked sinners like us. What Jesus got is what we actually deserved. God has actually unfairly given us everything that we have. In Christ, it's not actually fair. We deserve what he got. That's what's actually unfair. We don't deserve any of the good in our lives or our salvation in Christ. But Jesus is so kind and gracious to us that not only would he die in our place and give us eternal life forever with him, he also gives us good things now. Gives us joy in the now and a promise that he'll deal with all of your griefs one day. All of the unfairness you've experienced in this life, which is what leads us to a life of joy. It's our last one. Sacred joy. Look at verse 15. Preacher says, I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. I feel like he lands here every time. Commends joy. He says, eat, drink, have joy, be merry. This is what will go with you through your days. I, I, I think you really got to see this for this chapter and for the whole book. The preacher isn't saying like, eat your broccoli and shut up. It's not what he's saying. But we feel that, right? Like you're a kid and you don't have a choice and God is God, so he's like, life's kind of hard. Deal with it. Sorry. That's not what's happening here. We live in a sinful, broken world full of unfairness, and that means there will be broccoli. But that is not all that's on your plate. There's mac and cheese. There's baked potato, buttery baked potato. There's a burger, perfectly cooked with all the fixings, the toppings on it. Or a veggie burger, bunless piece of tofu, whatever you're into. There's good on your plate. I, I, I think we really have an issue where bad things ruin our joy completely. One bad thing can ruin all of your joy. But one joyful thing does nothing to the bad in our lives, 
Do you see that? Like, like for me, I could just apply it. I, I could uh, have a great work day. I could get five deals, but I had a potential six and I didn't get it. And I'm just upset about that. And we do that with so many different things. And the invitation is to say, no, there's, ab- yes, there's unfair things, there's suffering, but there's actually more too. There's actually more. And that is infinitely more true in light of eternity. Like, look at what God has done for you personally, for all of us, for his church, for his bride. He's made a way for us. Life is short. Eternity is long. But also, by his grace, you can enjoy the small things now. He's actually given you good things. So we get an eternal hope that allows us to have joy in the now. Life is unfair, but Jesus himself experienced that too, to the nth degree, so that one day all of the suffering, all of the unfairness, it would be put away. So yeah, absolutely there's going to be difficulties. It's coming. It might be there now, but you have to keep your eyes on him. You have to see what he's done for you and what he's going to do one day. This is all temporary, but also see the good. See the small gifts he's given you to enjoy and trust him with what is painful and unfair. That's what we do. We joyfully follow him now. We fear him as our God who will one day balance all the scales of justice while sparing us, which is incredible. Let that be the good that ruins your bad. Let me pray for us. Father God, We feel that life is hard. It can be small things. It can be inconveniences that just pile up. And it can also be the big things that are painful, that stir up major doubts in our hearts. God, we we confess in that, though, that, that we get angry with you. We get angry with one another. We get bitter towards life. God, help us to see the gospel truth, the the beauty of the gospel. Our only hope and path forward is to actually see that what you've done for us is so good and satisfying and even shocking that it doesn't make sense. And let that lead us to trust. Because we're not going to have the answers. We, We feel like that is what we need. Just Tell me why, Lord. Help me know. God, your word is clear. We may not get that. But let that, let that lead us to you, to deeper communion with you, and a deeper joy in you. Pray it all in your name, Jesus.